You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1344 of the Lothar Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And thank you for joining us on the podcast and making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out across podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and also YouTube on the video side. And today's show is brought to you by Sweatblock. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try Sweatblock and save 20% on promo code LOCKEDON at sweatblock.com. Also available on Amazon. And today's episode is going to break down what became a very interesting game for the Hawks. Uh, at the end result was a 117 to 98 win over the Milwaukee Bucks at home. It was the first loss of the season for Milwaukee, and they had come in riding high in a big way. And the Hawks trailed for pretty much the entire first half. Um, Trey Young missed this game for Atlanta at home. Uh, they were down by as many as 14 points, and then the second half happened, and the bench went crazy. The starters played better in the second half as well. It was a 59 to 28 extended run begin the second half and the Hawks kind of cruised down the stretch some garbage time in the mix as well the Hawks led by 20 bus points and that was uh, definitely a big time swing from the first half but a fun night across the board AJ Griffin with a huge game a career best for him Jonathan Murray with more strong performances and we'll get into all the nuance as you are always accustomed to on this podcast but a certainly a fun win for this Hawks team a third straight win and they are seven and three overall and four and one at home this season a nice start to the season through the first 10 games of the calendar so as we always do, we'll dive into what transpired here. Um, this is a rematch of the game about 10 days ago on the long road trip where the Hawks had a close loss in Milwaukee. As noted a second ago, Milwaukee was undefeated and number one in the entire NBA. In fact, Nate McMillan referred to the Bucs as the best team in the league both before the game and after the game. So certainly some respect there from the Hawks. The Bucs are not at 100% full strength. Chris Middleton, an all-star level player, is not playing for Milwaukee, but he's been all year, all year long. And they've been playing really well. Um, defensively, the Bucks came in just absolutely dominating this season. They were number one in the NBA in like multiple categories, overall defensive rating, defensive rebounding, shooting efficiency allowed, all those fun things. But the Hawks did a good job on offense in this game. And uh, they they held what has been a pretty like average Bucks offense down in a pretty impressive way. Again, sort of the headliner before the game was the absence of Trey Young. So Trey came into the day on Monday listed as questionable with right shin soreness. That was a different listing than what happened on Saturday. He left the game on Saturday. And by the way, if you want to listen to more about that about that game, I did a full podcast reaction to that entire game and the tray injury, et cetera. It was originally listed as a calf contusion that, was, that morphed into a shin soreness situation here. And then, honestly, I thought he was probably going to play. Usually when Trey is listed as questionable, he has a pretty good record of being out there. But with about 75 minutes before tip-off, they downgraded him to doubtful. As soon as that happens, it's like, all right, alarm bells. And then he was ruled out about 20 minutes later. So no further update on Trey um, since the pregame and since that downgrade actually happened in the middle of all the uh, fuss of the nice win for the Hawks. But we'll, we'll get more on him later on. But obviously playing without him is never easy for the Hawks. Um, they have done a pretty decent job in full games without Trey. That's something that I want to sort of stress in this spot is that you know, a lot of times there's been studies about this, about the NBA. It's not just the Hawks. Um, if they, if the, if the team's best player is out for the game and they kind of know that, they can game plan for it in a short sample size. The Hawks have done a pretty good job. I remember pre in previous years, the Hawks had a couple of nice wins with like Brandon Goodwin at the point with Trey out. 
that does not mean that Trey is not going to be uh, very, very important to the team moving forward, of course. But they were 3-3 three and three without him last year. They were competitive. And the Hawks, by the way, had basically played every single minute of like actual rotation basketball, non-garbage time, with either DeJounte or Trey on the floor, except for the one brief stretch where Trey was actually unavailable to come back in the game um, recently on the road. But uh, this is the one sort of spot where they kind of knew going in, they're going to have to play, you know, 10, 12, 15 minutes without Trey or DeJounte on the floor. They game plan for that. And uh, just as a note here, I'm knocking on wood as I say this, but the Hawks have been pretty healthy this year. I know the Bogdanovich situation looms. I've talked about Bogey a lot, and he, they definitely need Bogey to be there at, at their absolute best. But he was the only guy who had missed a game coming into the night. So the first nine games of the season, only having one guy out is pretty good luck in terms of injury stuff. Uh, this is the first time that anybody other than Bogey missed a game and it happened to be the best player of the team with Trey. Um, speaking of Bogey, no change there. You know, there was some talk from Travis Schlank before the road trip actually came to a close. They might have to have him ramp up a little bit. By all accounts, he's not really done that. He's still just doing spot shooting and a little bit of running and one-on-one stuff, but nothing has been practicing for Bogey, so that's not any time imminent, I don't think, at this point in time. And uh, the G League guys were back. The Hawks have been uh, going back and forth between College Park and Atlanta with Tyrese Martin, as well as Jarrett Culver and Trent Forrest. Uh, on the Milwaukee side, Giannis was listed as on, as probable on, on the injury report for this game. Ended up playing and looking like Giannis to me, but uh, Middleton out, as I mentioned before, as well as Pat Connaughton, a rotation guy for them, etc., with Trey out, the Hawks ended up being five and a half point underdogs in this game at home. Now they were two and a half or three in the morning, and it went up to five and a half with Trey out. That makes sense naturally, but um, clearly that was. Uh, and by the way, in the first half, it felt like the Hawks were going to lose this game for the majority of the way. They were able to kind of uh, fight back and uh, do what the Hawks needed to do in this spot. But they were not "quote unquote" supposed to win this one, as you might expect, even at home. So as for the game itself, they started Aaron Holiday in place of Trey. Not a big surprise there. I, I certainly believed coming into the day, and I actually said that after Trey was ruled out, that I thought they were going to start one of the holidays. Um, there was a decent argument for AJ Griffin. I did mention that on Twitter at the time. And AJ, by the way, again, had a huge game here. But uh, hard to believe that Nate would have actually started AJ Griffin, but they certainly uh, played all those guys and played them a lot in the second half of this game. It was Capella on Giannis and Collins on Brooke Lopez to start the game. Um, not a huge surprise there either. Capella does a pretty good job on Giannis. And for the most part, the Hawks did an effective job on Giannis. Now, he had 25 points. But he was not super efficient in this game. The Hawks did a really good job, whether it was Capella, whether it was Giannis, whether it was Jalen Johnson, whether it was John Collins, just kind of getting in his space and doing a pretty effective job at like kind of just bothering Giannis, making it a lot difficult on him the entire game. They had Aaron Holiday chasing his brother Drew around that made life easier on Jontae Murray defensively at times in this game. The Hawks didn't play well, though, in the early going. They went empty on the first three trips of the game, kind of a sloppy start. Um, there was one nice drive from John Collins for a bucket going hard to his right. Uh, there was, uh, I will just circle this now, I thought Capella played pretty decently in this game, especially on defense, played, pretty, played very well on defense in this game. But early early on, I think he missed his first four shots. There was a post-up. You know, I am uh, for those of you who might be new listeners, I'm actually pretty high on Capella. But uh, I cannot defend Capella taking a post-up against Brooke Lopez. That's a terrible decision by all parties involved. Hawks, Capella, you know, everyone designing that. That was not a good process decision. But they, he, did, he did draw a charge right after that on the next possession of the game. Actually, it was a second foul on Giannis, which sent, them, sent him to the bench. And usually that's a good thing for the opposition, in this case, the Hawks. But um, right on cue, actually, Milwaukee had a huge run without Giannis. It was an 11-0 run by the Bucs to go up by 21 to eight in the early going. The Hawks had four or five empty possessions in a row. The Bucs hit three consecutive threes. They made their first five threes overall and everything was going wrong at that point for Atlanta. Now they trailed by double digits for multiple occasions in the first half, but that was sort of the one 
biggest swing of the game against the Hawks was that 11-0 run in that first quarter. Rotationally, um, notably, it was Edgy Griffin as the first sub of the game for Aaron Holiday. I, I like that decision. I wrote that down in the moment, so I'm not, not, I'm not cheating here. They just kind of had to get Aaron off the floor to get him back in the game when DeJounte was going to sit because they had to kind of plan around not having Trey. And generally speaking, I do like AJ Griffin with the starters because he gives them that spacing element. I've talked about this a lot in the last, well, really four months now, but especially the last couple of weeks. Um, the Hawks don't really have that dynamic spacer, especially without Trey on the floor. And AJ kind of gives that on offense. He did have a weird kind of in between air ball in this game. Actually, AJ shot two air balls in this game. It's kind of funny is that as, as good as he was, he had two air balls in the game. The first one was kind of an in between like 10 footer that he kind of just left short, but he played very well on the whole. We'll come back to him later on. It was, a, it was a call with Justin Holiday after that, and then Jalen Johnson is the ninth guy. And the Hawks only played nine in the competitive portion, and that was kind of to be expected without Trey. Um, basically, Griffin taking some of those minutes, that kind of filling it around that. Uh, Collins was really good middle of the first quarter, had a couple of good buckets around the rim, had a nice sw- sort of swipe down block on Bobby Portis that led to another basket. There was a kind of uh, Jekyll and Hyde sequence from Jalen Johnson where he had a, uh, an air ball three. But that had a, had a steal and a duck right after that. Had a good cut for a layup that Murray found him on with a good pass on time and on target. And uh, I thought Jalen was pretty good overall in this game as well. But the Hawks were still down 11 at the end of the first quarter. And here's something I want to like flag to come back to later on. The Bucks were 8 of 11 from 3 to start the game. Now, that's obviously unsustainably good. Talked about that in the moment. But, you know, Milwaukee is a team that's going to take a lot of threes if you let them. The Hawks were definitely packing the paint on purpose and – it turns out rightly so in this game, but you cannot get spooked. That's something that used to happen with Budenholzer coaching the Hawks back in the day. Um, it's kind of similar system-wise, and that way defensively is that if your game plan is to give teams – not give necessarily, but if your, team, if your game plan is to wall off the rim and allow some three-point attempts, you can't get phased by the team making some more than they probably should. And from that point forward, by the way, the Bucks basically just couldn't make a shot. Now that's it. Kind of went hard in the other direction, and the Hawks might have got a little bit lucky on how the three-point defense actually went in this game. But if you just watch the first quarter, you, people, I, I saw this on Twitter live. People were pulling their hair out about the about the open looks the Bucks were getting, and they weren't even that open. They were just shooting the ball really well in the early going. But the big thing is the Hawks were sorry, the Bucks were six of fourteen from two in the first in the first quarter, which is actually quite good with no free throw attempts. And the Hawks really did a good job the entire way through, walling off the paint whether it was Capella or Kongwu or, or Collins or even Jalen Johnson, just being big, being stout at the rim and making the Bucks beat them elsewhere. And that was effective on the whole in this one. Offensively, though, kind of a slow start for Atlanta, despite the uh, good shooting around the rim. But the three-point shooting had some positive regression. So it's not all about this, but basically from the end of the first quarter on, the Hawks violently outshot the Bucks, And that was probably the biggest explanation, at least in terms of like simple stuff about why the game flipped because the Hawks went from down 11 to winning this game by 19 and being up by more than that in the fourth quarter. We'll have a uh, full coverage of this one, I promise you. And there's plenty more to get to about this game as far as the uh, way things flipped in the second half, as well as some individual breakdowns, as well as, in, uh, you know, takeaways from this one, as your Griffin talk, etc. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Today's show is brought to you by Sweat Block, and dealing with sweat is really never fun. No matter what the situation happens to be, nobody wants to sweat at a bad time, whether giving a presentation at work or going on a date or dealing with something like the heat in Atlanta or elsewhere in the Southeast. And in fact, sweat issues can really hurt your confidence, honestly. And we all want to be confident in what we're doing, no matter what that actually is. But with that said, Sweat Block is a way to fix those problems. Sweat Block wipes are the secret confidence, and Sweat Block wipes work for up to seven days per use. You can apply them on a Sunday, and you'll stay dry the entire week. If you or someone that you love 
is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, sweat block is the answer and is definitely the best thing to try. To try sweat block today, go to sweatblock.com and save 20% on the promo code locked on. Again, that is sweatblock.com, promo code locked on for 20% off. And sweatblock is also available on Amazon. One more time, that is sweatblock.com and promo code locked on for 20% off with sweatblock. So it's underrated a little bit in the big picture course of this one, but the Hawks were better in the second quarter than they had been in the first. And while it wasn't like the big haymaker, they started things off with the bench unit playing quite well in the second quarter. It was 12 to four in favor of Atlanta to get back within three. Griffin made uh, made a pull-up three that was just gorgeous early on in the second quarter. It might have even been more than that. Hunter turned the ball over twice, including one time where he just missed Griffin wide open in the corner and turned the ball over. Um, they did it with Murray on the bench as well. If you came into the night, and uh, I'm including myself in this as well, and told me that the Hawks were going to have uh, you know two of their better stretches of the game without Murray, I would have been a little bit skeptical of that, given that Trey was out of the game, but they were able to do that, especially in the first half. And then Okongwu made a, a mirror jump shot. They were very active defensively with the holidays flying around defensively, as well as Jalen having some nice moments as well. So uh, positive stuff there. Um, they stayed with the bench for a long time because it was working. And I'll, I'll probably say this again at the end of the podcast, but credit to Nate McMillan, who is not known for his flexibility, generally speaking, among NBA head coaches, but he was flexible in this game. He definitely leaned into the young guys quite a bit, and he, he, he sort of let those guys go because it was working. Andrew Griffin played his longest stint of his career. He played 13 plus minutes in a row in the first half. That is just kind of unthinkable for the season. Again, Trey was out. That's part of it, but they rode with the bench. It was uh, Joe Johnson for like 11 and a half minutes straight. Um, Murray sat like six and a half minutes in the first half. That's not a crazy amount, but for a team that did not have Trey, you would have thought, I would probably guess that in a competitive game, DeJounte was going to play 38 to 40 minutes in this game. He sat for more than six in the first half. Milwaukee did get the lead back to like nine or 10 in the second quarter at one point. Um, they brought, actually notably, Griffin back into the game for a second stint in the first half, which is definitely a stamp of approval for how he was playing. Not a typical sub there to get him back in the game. There was a brutal call against the Hawks with about – I don't know, 18 seconds left in the first half. Uh, Giannis got a whistle on Capella that was incredibly late. Also the wrong call on replay. That was the lo- that was sort of the loudest complaint of the night from the officiating, uh, sorry, from the crowd about the officiating. It was the right, it's the right complaint from the Hawks. Um, still two free points for the Bucks. Want to at least say that out loud. But uh, the Hawks did go into the halftime break down only six and it kind of, um, began to flip things around. Milwaukee, after making all their jump shots in the first half, sorry, in the first quarter, they were uh, 35% from the floor in the second quarter. The Hawks were chipping away a little bit. They had a 106 offensive rating in the first half, which is not very good, but only four turnovers, and they won the possession battle quite a bit. They had 32 points in the paint in the first half. That's very impressive. And uh, I will just say, they got to the line a lot in the second half, but in the first half, I was reminded of this, talking about this before the game with some people as well. Um, without Trey, and obviously there's a lot of stuff that changes without Trey, but he is by far and really their only significant free throw generator in terms of the offense. Uh, and if he's not playing, the Hawks are going to project to have very few free throw attempts. And that was the case in the first half of this one. AJ had 10, uh, Griffin had, had 13 in the first half. Um, the shooting did calm down a little bit for Milwaukee. They still had a 118, 118 defensive rating. The Hawks did in the first half, but it got better and better as the game went along. And we'll sort of fast forward now to the second half, where, as a spoiler alert, things went very well for Atlanta. So out of the gate, it was 12 to 2 from the Hawks to go from down by to, to go from down by six to up by four. Um, the Hawks didn't lead the entire first half. In fact, they didn't even tie the entire first half. It was zero, zero was the only tie in the first half, no lead for the Hawks. And then they flip it around in a hurry in the third quarter, their first lead of the game. Um, after the Hawks 
kind of missed all of her three-point attempts in the first half. Collins made the first one of the second half for Atlanta. Clint Capella had a massive help side block on Grayson Allen that kind of set the tone a little bit defensively. It was a very, very funny sequence in, this, in the third quarter. I'm sure if everybody's watching this game, they definitely remember this one. But it was like yakety sacks, Benny Hill music kind of uh, sequence. When Milwaukee turned the ball over twice in a row, the ball was just pinging around the floor with like bodies everywhere, basically. And that entire stretch was like, basically straight out of a comedy show. And at the end of it, though, Murray found Capella, who caught it, dunked, three-point play, made the free throw, which is uh, not always a given for Capella, of course. And uh, that actually went the Hawks' direction. Atlanta had a 24-9 run early in the third quarter overall to go from again up to go down six to up nine um, rotationally is pretty similar to the first half. They brought in Griffin first. He had a three point play immediately for him to have a career high and he shattered his career high in this game. He was human as I mentioned before with another air ball later on, but that's just fine. He was being very aggressive and he probably should be offensively. And from there it was just kind of the same stuff, Justin holiday, then Joe Jer- Johnson, et cetera. I thought Drew Holiday stabilized Milwaukee a little bit in the third quarter and kind of scared the Hawks a little bit, getting the ball, get, started getting the lead back to down like three or four or so. But there were some haymakers late in the third quarter. Holiday hit a big three. Justin did. I mean, um, AJ Griffin actually took a pretty bad shot, I thought, um, which is tough to do for him and missed it. But the next possession was a super in control, dynamic curl catch and shoot play that like only a high end shooter makes that play looking like that. And that's kind of a reminder of just how talented he actually is. And then Giannis had a huge dunk late in the third, but it was he was basically in control, and the Hawks were up by nine at the end of the third quarter. It was 37-22 to 22 in the third. It tied the highest-scoring third quarter of the season for Atlanta, and they got to the line 11 times. That was a huge thing. They were attacking the rim much more. They had four of seven from three. DeJounte was really good in the third quarter, had nine points and five assists. Griffin was really good as well, and they held the Bucs down to nine of 23 from the floor. The fourth quarter was more of the same. It started with a preposterous tip dunk, from a Kong Wu over Giannis. I'm sure if you are a Hawks fan listening to this podcast, you have seen the replay, but if you haven't, I implore you to find the replay. I cannot share that for, I cannot share that with you on this podcast. I'm not allowed to do that, but that was an awesome play. Gave the Hawks their first double digit lead of the game at that point in time. Just a super explosive stretch from a Kong Wu who has been, you know, not always like perfectly locked in this year. I think he's had a decent start, but not, he's not been blowing anybody away so far by his standards, but I remain a huge fan of him. And he was very, very good early in the fourth quarter, uh, creating real havoc. Had another putback dunk later on. It was sort of a push shot that was uh, also really impressive. That, that one on Giannis was just a, a, rim, a rim rattler in a big way. That was a fun moment across the board. Um, Justin Holliday hit another three to force a timeout. And uh, overall, here's some numbers for you in the in the second half of this game. Um, first of all, the Hawks started the fourth quarter with a 22-6 to six run. That's good on its own. And when that all was over, the Hawks were up by 25 with eight minutes to go. It was basically over at that point. Um, the first 18 minutes of the second half was 59 for the Hawks and 28 for the Bucks. You beat a team led by Giannis and Drew without Trey by 31 points in a quarter and a half. And you do it when they're undefeated and playing well. And yeah, there was some shooting luck stuff in there. Like uh, the Bucks went really cold. The Hawks got really hot. They just outplayed them. They really did. They outplayed them across the board. And uh, the Hawks were really hot from the floor at that point. Milwaukee was 11-36 from the floor and 1-14 from three uh, through 18 minutes of the, of the third quarter. Milwaukee didn't, didn't have a point. Other than, actually, sorry, they, they had one point. It was a technical foul free throw. So they didn't have one offensive point for more than five full minutes in the fourth quarter. And uh, yeah, when it was over, it was over. That was basically the end of that. The bench was starting empty with four minutes to go. Um, the entire second half, even if you include garbage time, was 65 to 40 in favor of Atlanta. And uh, 
you know, kudos to Nate McMillan. I said it before. I'll say it one more time now. He rode the young guys, and that's not always what Nate will do. As an example, Collins, Hunter, Capella, three starters, three guys the Hawks have to have playing well to reach their big-time goals, uh, plus Trey, of course. Those guys played 11 minutes or fewer in the second half of this game. And a part of that might have been garbage time, but they weren't coming back in their normal spot. It is because they were rolling with the bench unit. It was Murray plus the bench, and it was basically dominating in the, in the second half of this game. He was right not to go back to the guys. You know, it wasn't like those guys were terrible. Like, we'll come, I'll come back to that in the individual portions of the podcast. There were some weaknesses there, but I thought, like, Capella and Collins both played pretty well in this game. Hunter was just okay, but, like, he wasn't like he was terrible, uh, at least with some defensive stuff. But, you know, Nate was just willing to go with it. And, like, sometimes you get yourself in trouble leaning on hot units, quote-unquote. But in this one, it worked out very well for the Hawks and for Nate. And uh, that was a big-time performance across the board. So, uh, broadly speaking, as far as takeaways are concerned, coming into the night – I w- would have definitely told you that the Hawks were going to have to play good defense without Trey. Um, you know, candidly, being without Trey does help the defense. Uh, that's not a huge secret. Trey is one of the bottom tier defenders in the league. Uh, he, also, he also happens to be a top five to 10 offensive player in the league. So there's a lot of strengths there. I am not picking on Trey. Trey is awesome, but defensively, he does not really help you. So that was part of the game plan you would have said going in was to be better defensively, create more havoc have Aaron Holiday, who's kind of a pest defensively, uh, replace that role. More of Justin as well, good defender, uh, DeJounte doing DeJounte stuff. And they were good defensively, especially after the first quarter was over. So the Bucks famously, again, shot 8 of 11 from 3 in the first quarter. That was always un- unsustainable, but they definitely cooled off. In fact, they were 5 of 29 from 3 the rest of the game. Ended up at 13 of 40, which is not like a terrible number for a team. That's 30, 32.5%. But uh, given where they were early in the game, that was a huge regression that definitely helped the Hawks. But they held Milwaukee to 41% from the floor. They had a 97 defensive rating. That is lights out. Now, Milwaukee had six, six, six offensive rebounds in the entire game. They had 19 turnovers. That's a huge habit creation game for Atlanta on the whole. They had um, 11 steals. That's a really good sort of way to juice your offense. Um, they held the Bucks to 16 free throw attempts as well. The Hawks basically had a almost a perfect game in terms of their peripheral defensive stats once the Bucks cooled off. So they just kind of did what you had to do. Um, and again, like Milwaukee helped them out a little bit with their bad shooting, but the Hawks were just game and they played very well defensively in this game. Um, offensively, it wasn't a perfect game, but they played well. I mean, a 116 offensive rating overall, very good regardless. But even especially when you factor in no tray and you factor in the opponent, Milwaukee came in with the number one defense in the league and the Hawks had six guys in double figures. They took and made more threes as the game went along. They didn't take a ton, only 29. That's probably less than you would want, but they made 11 of them, shot it better than Milwaukee did from three, shot it better than Milwaukee did from two. 50 points in the paint is a good number for the Hawks. Uh, they had double the offensive rebounds that the Bucks did in this game, only 12 turnovers, which is a good number for any team, and only five live ball turnovers. That's excellent. Um, at the line, they didn't get to the line a lot, only 17 attempts. That's below where you would want to be, but after only taking a, co- a couple in the first half, they were much better than being aggressive in the second half. So I can give you num- numbers all day long, but the Hawks played very well in this game, a complete effort offensively being better than you would think without Trey defensively being very stingy against a pretty decent offense. Well, not not a great offense necessarily without Middleton still a good offense. And the Hawks just uh, played lights out basketball for the final really 36 minutes, but especially the second half, they were just absolutely dominant in this game. All right, we'll get to one more break here to hear from our sponsors. We'll be back with uh, more on this game, individual breakouts and all that fun stuff. But first here we are. 
Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online, and basketball is in full swing now in November. College basketball is underway as of earlier on Monday, and Bet Online is the number one source for all the wager information you're looking for. That includes stats and news and analysis across the board this season. You can get the latest trends and the odds at every professional and college league out there at Bet Online. That includes the latest in football and basketball and soccer and esports, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment stuff, and much more. All of that and much more. Again, props. Futures, all that fun stuff at Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to get your sports betting fix right now. And if you love sports podcasts, you can also find those at Bet Online. Check out Bet Online on your mobile device or your computer to learn more about all of the trends and the action in the sports world. Bet Online, where the game starts. One thing here before we get the individual stuff in this game is that I am going to go ahead and get out in front of this a little bit. I mentioned it briefly before, but I want to be very clear about this. I'm already seeing, I think maybe it's trolling or whatever, the better without Trey stuff that's kind of out there. Uh, That's very obviously silly. Now, Trey has weaknesses for sure, but he is one of the best 20 players in the league, something like that. Um, However you want to say that, Trey is an awesome player, Um, you know. There have been studies on this. I've said it before again, but like teams are capable of playing in short sample sizes without their guys. Um, long-term, short-term, any term, the Hawks need Trey Young, and he's going to have to be back for them to do what they need to do. This is still a great, great performance, but uh, maybe uh, we'll see Trey get back on, on Wednesday. But they do need Trey, so don't let anybody tell you differently. If you have a uh, non-Hawks fan friends that's kind of telling you, like, the Hawks are better without Trey. No, they're not. They're definitely not better without Trey, but uh, they play well in this game. Anyway, uh, as for the players that did play in this spot – uh, I thought it was interesting. All nine guys that played, played at least 22 minutes. That's very intriguing balance um, for a team that's not always known for that. Um, we'll start on the bench, as we often do, and go to Jalen Johnson first. I, th- I thought he played quite well. Plus 15 for Jalen, five points, eight rebounds. He had two assists, two steals, a block. He was very active on defense. You know, Jalen, I will give him this. Defensively, he's been very active all year long. Now, he's not always in the right place at the right time, and that's been a criticism of him by me and others. I'm sure that's maybe why he hasn't played a ton um, in every in each and every game. But I thought Jalen was really good. He showed some of his on-ball skills in this one a little bit more. Rebounding, did a good job on the glass. Um, yeah, it wasn't like he was the absolute standout of the game, but had a bunch of nice moments across the board that you definitely love to see um, for the Hawks. Um, elsewhere on the bench, Justin Holiday had a good game off the bench, 14 points on 10 shots, hit four of seven from three. He definitely needs to make shots, and he's not made a ton of them so far this year. I've said this a number of times. I'll say it one more time here. He is a 37% three-point shooter for like a five-season sample size. I don't worry about his jump shooting a whole lot. Is he AJ Griffin? No. Is he bogey? No. But Holiday can and will make shots. He made shots in this game. And I know my friend Glenn Willis, who's been on the podcast even last week and has been on the show many times before, was pointing out some of the nuance of Holiday's defense. Justin Holiday is a good defender. He knows where to be. He's active. He executes. And uh, definitely underrated, I think, by Hawks fans at this point in time. He definitely plays to what I like in players, for sure. So I'm definitely guilty of liking role players. But I think that Holiday is still undervalued because of his slow shooting start. But I think that's not a huge concern for me. And then uh, Akongwu was also very, very good in this game. Uh, 12 points. Six rebounds, two assists, had a steal, a couple of highlight plays, 6-11 from the floor. Actually, it wasn't as efficient as he always is. Like, it's still a good efficiency number, don't, don't get me wrong, but he's usually been even better than this this season. I thought he wasn't quite dominating in the first half. I thought his first stint was a little bit shaky, but after that, he settled in and was basically awesome. Um, he closed the game, at least the competitive portion of the game. Rebounded better than usual, I thought, in this game. Only had one foul. That's a key thing for Kongwu. He He's actually been averaging more than eight fouls for 36 minutes this year. That's a huge number he's going to have to fix. But in this game, that, that, that number will come down because he was able to defend without fouling. 
And that second half stint that he had where he was flying around was uh, very impressive and notable. Um, elsewhere on the bench, AJ Griffin. So we talked about AJ a little bit already in a game flow portion, but um, obviously this is one of those like breakout kind of games for a young guy. He had 24 points. That is easily a career high. I, th- I believe it was 10 coming into the night. He had three steals. He had an assist. He had four rebounds. He was a game best plus 28. As soon as he came in the game, the offense got better immediately. He was 10 of 15 from the floor. He was only two six from three. So it wasn't like he was lighting up from three. Like he shot the ball okay, as he always does. But he was eight of nine on twos. He was effective getting to the rim. The mid-range game was working for AJ. Uh, this is one of those times when uh, I remind everyone that AJ Griffin was formerly a top three or four guy in that class in terms of high school status. He had the injuries. Uh, I do not believe he would have fallen to the Hawks without the injury concerns. And those maybe still are there deep down, but he looks springy to me. It looks like he's in better shape than he was in college in terms of just being a little bit more, um, you know, quick twitch, that kind of stuff. And uh, no question about Griffin's talent level. There was a reason why I was preaching that that was a heist of a draft pick in the moment I thought that it was an auto auto selection. Like I liked Tari Eason in the moment, but he he fell there as well. The Hawks took the guy that had the highest upside and AJ Griffin. He is really, really intriguing. Is he going to be this good all the time? No, you know, he's a rookie. I, I'm kind of notoriously skeptical of rookies and them being effective, but I will say this, as I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, I don't go out on a limb and talk about how rookies need to play more. That's not really my bit. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. But with Griffin, I've been saying regularly he needs to play because of the shooting, like the the spacing, the way that he makes the offense kind of flow. I think defensively he was pretty solid in this game. He's had some moments that looks looks like a rookie in the last couple of games. That's that's okay. He got the DMP CD on Sunday. But I think that Griffin is going to play more, I hope. Um, Obviously not not quite this much with Trey being out. I don't think that you have to just like put him in there all the time. I'm not someone who's saying that like, he's a starter or something like that, but uh, Griffin obviously showed his value here. I, I don't, you know, it's kind of preaching to a, a choir that's very excited. I don't think it's uh, smart to get like super duper carried away now about Griffin. And like, you know, the fact that he's like going, you know, this will not be a norm performance from him, but the talent is undeniable. The offensive, the offensive capability, the way he played in this game, the confidence he's playing with, um, the team, the, the team seems to love him. The guys seem to like him quite a bit. They were praising him endlessly after the game tonight. So a fun breakout game for AJ Griffin. I will be intrigued to see how much he plays on Wednesday, especially if Trey is back. Um, but you know, career high in minutes, career high in points. What do you say? It was an awesome performance from Griffin, and uh, definitely a glimpse of hopefully what's to come if you are a Hawks fan. Uh, the stars are a little bit quieter, as I mentioned before. We'll save Murray for the end. The other four guys were of the quieter variety. I thought Aaron Holiday played pretty well in this one. Had four points, five assists, um, one turnover. Didn't have any rebounds, but like was a pest defensively. I think that uh, you know I could certainly quibble of like starting him, but I, that definitely made sense to kind of stagger. They kind of did the reverse rotation. It was Dejounte in the tray role rotationally kind of carrying the offense for first and third quarter. And then it was holiday doing the Murray stuff a little bit less on offense, of course, but I thought he did his job in this game, played a lot of bench, a lot of bench minutes was what was effective. Um, Capella, same kind of thing. He was good, not great, but good. Uh, five points, 12 rebounds in 22 minutes. He was all over the glass, had a steal and a block. I thought he was pretty excellent defensively, honestly. Um, you know, it lo- always looks a little bit funny when he's guarding Giannis as, as a center, but I thought Clint's def- defense was really good. His first half offense was not, you know, he, I think he was 0-4 at the outset, made two of his last three shots. Um, not efficient, clearly, on offense, so that's that's a problem, and uh, occasionally is, but he was, you know, he was after being pretty much dominant on Saturday, he wasn't as good as that. But defensively, if you watch the tape back, like he's – everywhere he's he's taking uh taking up taking up space defending the rim 
And broadly speaking, again, Capella, Okongwu, Collins, even Johnson a little bit, did a great job protecting the rim in this game. And Clint is probably the anchor of that above all. Uh, Hunter had a kind of a middling game, I would say. I think defensively he played really well. Now, it's not a game where he has to play against Milton. Kind of a kind of a weird matchup game for him. He's like guarding Grayson Allen or he's guarding a little bit of like you know, Javon Carter at moments. But um, I thought Hunter played well defensively. Offensively, less so for sure. He had 10 points on about 12 shooting possessions, so below average efficiency. Four turnovers. The ball handling is a problem and has been all year long. I don't want to dwell on it too much tonight. It was a pretty positive podcast, but he was not very good in that area. And just kind of some weird stuff with the ball in his hands, um, decision-making-wise. The processing is a little bit slow. But, you know, he could, he's could. he been worse in the past. I don't, I don't think he was, like, bad. Offensively, he had some bad moments, but there you go. And then Collins was good, I thought. He didn't come back in the game because he didn't need to, but 14 points on 10 shots, two rebounds, had a block, uh, just played solid across the board. He was part of the protection brigade as well, had a, had a block. Did a good, good job on Giannis when he was able asked to do that. Played well on the whole. And then Murray uh, had a big night, led the team in score with 25 points and 11 assists. Uh, those are both team-leading numbers, eight rebounds, Three steals. You know, Murray was just Murray. He was really good. Got to his spots. Uh, I, I said this to someone pregame. I think it was Kevin Gennard. But no free throw attempts for Murray in this game. It's just uh, there was a whole discourse discourse about this today on Twitter that I saw before the game um, about the officiating or whatever. I'll just say this. Murray is not a free throw creator. And that's not a bad thing. Like, he's a really, really good pull-up mid-range shooter. He's really good in floater range. He's really like actually a guy that you are totally fine with taking mid-range shots because he's so good at them. But he, for all of his gifts as an athlete and as a aggressive player, he does not get to the line. Uh, last year, he got to the line a little bit more as the unquestioned number one guy in San Antonio, but do not expect him to be replicating Trey's free throw totals. And this is a good reminder of that as well. But he shot the ball very well from two in this game. Three of nine for three is just okay. But he was quite good and uh, nice to have another guy that can run your offense for 35 minutes like he did basically in this game with Trey on the shelf because that was not an option in previous iterations of this Hawks team. All right. I am winding down as I am uh, falling asleep at this point as we're well into Tuesday morning. I started I actually started recording this podcast on Tuesday. Um, it's, it's post midnight. It was a late start for the Hawks. It was a home game. I had to get home, all that fun stuff. But before we get out of here, a reminder, the Hawks have a back-to-back coming up. Wednesday and Thursday, both at home, so a little bit easier, no travel in between. They play the Jazz on Wednesday and Philadelphia on Thursday. Um, Coming in to this stretch, which we discussed at length on the last podcast on Saturday night, it's a very, very difficult stretch of schedule, and that was always going to be the case. They were playing a lot of the top teams in the East over about a two-week period. But coming into the year, at least I circled that Utah game as like a pretty easy one. Obviously, Utah was projected to be a rebuilding team this year. They traded Donovan Mitchell, traded Rigo Bear, Royce Young, sorry, Royce Young, Royce O'Neal, etc. And uh, instead, they're playing great. So that's uh, interesting to at least note. Uh, the Jazz keep winning games. In fact, they just won again. They beat the Lakers by a sound margin in this one. They, uh, I believe, are eight and three now with that victory. So. The Jazz are not an easy matchup anymore. Now, it's still a home game. The Hawks are still, in my mind, better than the Jazz, but that is no longer a game that you could just kind of, you know, underline in the vein of that Rockets game or the Magic game. That's like the Hawks can be huge favorites. The Hawks are probably going to be favored, I think, uh, but not by a ton, I would imagine. And then Thursday, back-to-back, Philadelphia, we'll get into that one later on, but we'll see about Trey status between Monday night and Wednesday. I'm sure the Hawks will have some sort of practice gathering. Uh, maybe maybe it's just a film session or whatever on Tuesday, but um, you know, I'm sure Trey wants to play. Uh, Trey hates to sit, by all accounts, so we'll see if he plays on Wednesday and on both nights of the back-to-back, et cetera. But for the most part, a very, very positive night at the office for the Hawks. Again, 7-3. 
for the season. You have to take that for sure. Four one at home. You gotta love that. They went over the Bucks. Their first loss of the season. That's uh, that's a lot of fun to see as well. So, uh, Edge Griffin breakout game. There was lots of like bullet point exciting things in this one. Very little to be complaining about, quite honestly. Like I think pretty much everyone was at least okay or better in this game individually. And from a team standpoint, there were very few weaknesses from this performance. Um, basically, after the first quarter barrage by Milwaukee shooting, it was all Hawks all the time. So, thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. We definitely encourage you to listen to the show each and every day, as well as to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or YouTube on the video side. Um, do it across multiple platforms. It definitely helps us to, helps us to uh, spread the word. Also, tell a friend or tell an enemy or tell a family member. Everyone do that. You know, Share us on social media, all that stuff. Please help us to grow the podcast. Word of mouth is the best driver of podcast growth for sure. And we definitely appreciate all that support. Uh, Five-star ratings and reviews are also very helpful. Please follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. And we'll see you all later in the week.